What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash malicious compliance. Just a quick side note before we get started. Got my other channel running again. <laughs> I finally wrote another story and read that uh, and uploaded the other night. The channel's called Uncle Spectre, and uh, I'll put a link to that down in the description below. If you like scary stories and things like that with the spooky season coming up, go ahead and give that a listen and let me know what you think. And uh, I only got a few videos up there right now, a couple longer ones and one shorter one. I think the short one's like 15 minutes. And uh, yeah, if you get a chance, check it out. Something I kind of enjoy doing once in a while. All right, let's read some malicious compliance. I see your malicious compliance on me, so I'll do one of my own on you. A while ago, I was in charge of training for a large organization. I mostly did the organizing. For a fictitious example, I might coordinate the Dean of Medicine at Yale to come in and give a speech to 200 employees. Our usual location was a large auditorium slash classroom, complete with podium and computer. The aforementioned Dean might show up with a PowerPoint that he needed to run, etc., so I had my two administrative assistants show up at 7.45 a.m. each morning to make sure whatever the room was running for whatever speaker or lecturer was there as the usual start time was 8 o'clock. Sometimes, as was bound to happen, computer issues arose. Not too often, maybe once or twice a month tops. Maybe the dean couldn't pull up his PowerPoint. So we'd call our IT guy, Gary, who was two offices away and he'd come and fix the problem. Everyone was happy. Until Gary retired. His new replacement, Todd, didn't like the arrangement. Though his start time was 8 o'clock, he'd often drift in at 8.10 or 8.15. This isn't good, when we're having a computer crisis at 8.02. Further, he hated walking into the office and immediately having a call waiting for him. He wanted to have his coffee, read his email, and ease his way into the workday. I can't really blame him there. So Todd decided that he would no longer attend our computer calls. He told me to have my administrative assistants troubleshoot the problem, since they were there anyways. He was pretty hardcore about this, until I pulled out the job description of my assistants, and nowhere did it say that computer repair fell under their workload. I then showed him his job description where it said that computer repair was. Enter malicious compliance on Todd's part. You want me to attend? Okay, then we do it by the books. No more calling me directly. You need to call the central helpline and have them open a user ticket. Then I'll attend. I pointed out the foolishness of this. It's 7.54. I have the Yale Dean of Medicine and he can't work his PowerPoint. I need it fixed now. I can't spend 15 minutes waiting on hold for the next available help desk agent. Then 15 minutes explaining the problem to them. Then have them open a ticket and send it to Todd. Then another 20 minutes before Todd opens or responds to the ticket. We can't have 200 people sitting for 45 minutes waiting on Todd. Too bad, he said with a smirk. Those are the rules. Or you could just have your admin ladies fix the problem. I tried one last ditch effort to reason. When the CEO is going to give a speech and the computer shorts out, he doesn't have to wait 45 minutes. So obviously you can make exceptions. Common sense says this should be one too. Nope, Todd said. The CEO staff do what's called a preemptive ticket. They submitted ahead of time and had me there on standby in case things do go wrong. So yes, even he has to do the ticket process. Okay, Todd, I see your malicious compliance and raise you one of my own. The next morning I sat with coffee in hand and waited, smiling in anticipation. Sure enough, my door bursts open with a furious Todd. What the F is this? He snarled, waving a printout. I submitted a preemptive ticket for every day for the next three months, requiring Todd to be at my training room at 7.45 every day just in case there was a computer emergency. Even better, I had contacted his boss's boss and received authorization to change Todd's work schedule due to operational requirements, so he would now be required to work 7 to 3 instead of 8 to 4. Or you could just pick up the damn phone when I call and come over. 
We agreed that the ticket process wouldn't be necessary and he would show up as needed. So, again, I know I'm kind of wishy-washy on this stuff, but I can see both sides of the coin here. I understand Todd has a job description. He needs to do the repairs, but at the same time, if his work hours are 8 to 4, you know, you can't really call him till 8. 7.45 doesn't really work for him. As far as him easing into his day, hey, if your clock in time's 8 o'clock, you got to be ready to work at 8 o'clock. So I, I get it all the way around. There are small things that, you know, administrative assistants and everybody else could probably tweak out pretty quick. If, you know, usually PowerPoint issues are something that's just an ongoing problem. People go to a new place, they lose their brain for, you know, a few minutes and can't figure out how to get their crap up on your screen. So it's not that big a deal, but yeah, it just sounds like everybody's just so stuck in their ways, you know, the, the not my job mentality or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overthinking it. Don't want us to call our most experienced technician? Okay. I work in a manufacturing facility. We had a technician that knew almost everything about our machines, how to fix them, troubleshoot them, and all their weird quirks. When other technicians struggled to find the problem, he came through and saved a lot of downtime, up to hours per shift. He moved to a different department with slightly different hours for personal reasons. Understandable. He's still there six hours during our shifts, so he's well within reach if things need to escalate. So we told my boss and I, if machine is ever down for longer than an hour, call me. One day our technicians couldn't find the root cause of a problem. An hour passed and I called him on the walkie. Then I got a message from the technician's boss, who I really enjoy working with, asking that I not call this technician over from his department because of morale reasons. You got it, technician boss. So now whenever we have a problem on a machine, it'll be down for as long as it takes until it gets fixed or passed down to the next shift, which has engineers and more support staff on call. So OP never really explained what the morale issues were. You said you couldn't blame him. Like, was there a personality conflict between him and somebody else on in that section? Or I, I don't know. Anyway, hey, that's up to the bosses, man. If they, they don't want you calling him and, you know, the techs that are there can't figure it out, then it's on them. They're going to lose hours and hours of production and uh, or maybe get, you know, the other the good tech to train somebody new. What else are you going to do? You can't really blame the other tech. I mean, he's, he's you know, dealing with whatever issues he's got with somebody else in that section. Uh, but the bosses are the ones that are getting ready to screw it up. If you're going to move this guy out of there and he was the one saving you all the production time, you need to fill his shoes with somebody. Yeah. Cable company told me I don't have cable. This happened around the year 2000. I had just purchased a house and met the previous owners while they were moving out. They were really nice people and we had a friendly conversation about the house. The previous owner mentioned that the cable bill was paid up until the end of the month, about three more weeks, and that he had already turned in his cable box but the cable signal should still be active till the end of the month. I told him thanks and we would let him finish packing up. We moved in the following week and when I hooked the cable to my TV, I got all the basic cable channels which was all I was planning on getting anyway. Come the end of the month I called the cable company and asked to sign up for basic cable. The sales rep told me that there was going to be a $100 hookup fee. I told them that the previous owner had left his account active and that I was literally watching cable as we speak. So there shouldn't need to be a hookup fee because the cable is already hooked up. They just needed to start billing me for basic cable. The rep then clicked on her keyboard and told me that her data showed that the address I was at doesn't have cable and that they'll need to send out a crew to activate the signal. I told her that I was not paying $100 for a hookup fee and said never mind, I don't want cable. I waited another month, still had cable and called the cable company back to ask what it would cost to get basic cable. A different operator from before said it would cost something like $30 a month and a $100 hookup fee. 
I asked why the $100 hookup fee. She said that it was because my address doesn't currently have cable. I told her never mind, I don't want cable unless they waive the hookup fee. She said she wasn't authorized to waive the fee. I just thanked her and hung up. Four years later, we still had cable, but we ended up moving out of state for work. I'll never understand why cable companies are like this. There's already a cable there. It's already hooked up at the pole because you obviously have signal. All they got to do is start a new account with your name on it and keep it going. I mean, I understand there's only so many things, you know, it's not a normal thing for them to have to do, but I don't know. I had that happen at my retail shop a couple of years back because it's a commercial account. You know, it was way more than a hundred dollars to do the hookup fee. Well, the cable was already hooked up at the pole. It was already hooked up inside. All I did was run an extension coax over to get to the modem that they were going to bring. I don't get it. I could have plugged the damn thing in and got it going from there, but you would think there would be, you know, a couple different scenarios that they could set up, but I guess they can't count on anything being right. So they're probably just doing that because 99% of the time they do have to hook it up. Farting isn't funny. This is a relationship story and I'm not sure this is the best place. The malicious part is he told me it wasn't controllable. It's a story that I share several times verbally, but not sure if I have on this forum, as it'll identify me. I, female 50 plus, and my husband, male 50 plus, were engaged and mostly living together in the late 90s. When my husband drank crappy beer, his farts were horrible smelling. He would laugh and move on with idle threats of doing a Dutch oven, which he never did because stuff would go down and I'd win. But he kept farting around me with really bad, not normal farts. I'd ask him to seriously think about how bad he smelled and try to move away. My warnings or asks didn't sink in. So I know that drinking a certain packaged soup makes me gassy and have horrible farts. My husband, fiance at the time, went out of town for a business trip and asked I pick him up from the airport on his return. Before picking him up, I drank a ridiculous amount of this soup. As I drove to the airport, a fart happened in my tiny car and it was perfect. I showed up and he got in the car. I locked the windows and started driving while letting my farts rip. He smelled my first fart and was worried. We kept driving and he was clawing at the windows to let him out or let the air in. I shared with him that my farts were similar to what I told him his were. I didn't have to spell it out. He begged that if I opened the window he'd never fart around me when he could control it. And here we are 25 plus years married without smelly farts. Jeez. <laughs> sometimes they're not controllable. Uh, sometimes you can, you know, hold off until you remove yourself from the space, leave the room, whatever. Uh, wow. And then there are some guys who just, you know, consider it a challenge to gross everybody out around them no matter what. I know people like that. And he wonders where I get it from. My dad was in the Air Force for 20 years, and at one point he was forced to take two tests to move up a rank. He didn't want to. Edit, it would have meant moving again and responsibilities he didn't want. But he had to take them. He decided to intentionally fail. Quote, I got the lowest scores in the Air Force for my professional and skills test intentionally. I posted them to show I could have likely aced them, but chose not to. My chief threw a fit about it and insisted I take them down. I stated that I was proud of my scores, like the others in my shop that were selected for promotion. If I had to take them down and the others didn't, I stated that I would file a complaint against the chief for discrimination. My scores stayed on my overhead bulletin board until I retired. Better failing the test on purpose and not going someplace where you're not going to be happy, you're not going to be productive. You know, if if you're miserable in your position, then I wouldn't want you there. As you know, it's just going to mess everything up. You know, crap rolls downhill. So if the guy that just got promoted is not happy, everybody below him is going to be unhappy. So uh, and then 
production of morale just goes totally to crap. So, good for you, man. Put my chair up? No problem. Long time lurker, first time posting. Writing from a phone, but formatting should be okay. Nothing big, but hopefully amuses a few. I work in a machine shop and am mostly on the shop floor. I usually find myself in the computer room when I do any programming or alterations to an existing program. Well, today I found myself in the computer room to make some edits. The first thing I do when I take a seat is put it as low down as possible. I find it comfortable and it also stops anyone from trying to lower it when I'm sat down. I'm known for doing this, so it doesn't come as a surprise to others anymore. One of the engineers comes in to do his thing and notices I'm sat down low. Normally he tells me it must be uncomfortable and leaves it at that. Well, today he told me it makes him feel uncomfortable and to please put the chair up. So I did. I raised it a couple centimeters, so I was still pretty much sat on the floor. He didn't specify how much to lift it. He just laughed and got on with his work. See, you're the guy. You're that guy that goes around when other people are sitting in their chairs and cranks the handle so that they drop to the floor. I doubt it's that comfortable. You're just paranoid that somebody's going to do to you what you do to them. <laughs> Manager told me to send the title when it was his job. A few years ago, I worked at an exotic car dealership. We were the largest in the world for our brand, which will remain nameless for this post, and the exotic car side was run by one of the owners, a manager we'll call Jim, and two others my age who did most of the grunt work with me. We sold cars in all 50 US states and would ship them wherever they needed to go. We all worked on every deal and were paid off the profit of the dealership, not the individual sales. Jim was a major kiss-ass to the owner who oversaw our department. He wasn't good at his job, but he was good at playing the game needed to stay on the owner's good side. He treated myself and the other younger guys like crap and tried to do as little work as he possibly could. He was openly racist, openly sexist, and knew nothing about the cars we sold or their main competition. Jim's main responsibility was to send out all paperwork to customers and make sure everything was set so we could release the car. A big part of this was making sure the car was registered before shipping it out if they financed through the manufacturer's financial arm. Most people did this for a slight discount. This often meant sending all registration paperwork to the customer to go register it locally. Jim was the only one allowed to do this as our manager had inherent distrust for the younger guys, even though we genuinely did great work. Don't get to the number one in the world for your brand if we weren't doing a good job. Well, when the owner wasn't there, Jim would often do nothing all day and then send some paperwork right before the end of the day. On the day things came to a head, he spent the morning shopping for pellet smokers and a cruise for his family to go on, and kept interrupting me to show me the different options he was looking at. Meanwhile, I was handling two in-person deliveries and dealing with all showroom traffic. Long story short, the end of his day rolls around and he didn't get the paperwork sent out, so he told me to do it. I explained that the owner made it clear he's the only one allowed to send the paperwork out for registration, but he said, just send the effing paperwork out. So that's exactly what I did. The title needs to be filled out with the info for the financing company or they'll have no claim so that the car and the registration will show no lien. So I sent the blank title out to the customer knowing that that meant they could just sign it and register it like they didn't have a loan. The customer noticed and asked my manager why he left the lien holder off the title, but CC'd our whole department. The owner saw this and freaked out, shouting at my manager saying, how could you F this up? It's so simple. Which led to my manager having to admit he interrupted my actual work to make me send it out, while not clarifying that he hadn't even filled out the title yet, and that I had to do that. They sent an overnight envelope to the customer to send it back to us. Then we had to overnight it again once we filled it out. He got an earful and the owner never let him live it down. I quit and moved into software sales, network monitoring, code level app security monitoring, that kind of stuff. And I'll never work in a dealership again. There's just something about car dealerships. I actually applied to be a salesman at a car dealership once on the used side. They always put the new guys on the used car side. 
And that didn't bother me. I didn't, I didn't give a crap. But I'm not, I've never been a high pressure sales kind of guy, giving or receiving. It just doesn't work for me. It's kind of creepy. And that whole culture around car dealerships, and they're not the only ones that do this, but they're just the first one that comes to mind. It just, I don't know, makes my stomach turn, man. It's just so high pressure and sleazy sounding. And I don't like the games. I don't like the paperwork games. I don't like the financing games. Just, you know, making you sit there and stew while you wait for your car paperwork to come up. And then all of a sudden there's extra fees and this and that. I don't know. I just, I couldn't stand it. I, I worked there maybe two days. I did sell a couple cars and that was mostly because I listened to the people coming in. What do they want? What are they looking for? What are they looking to spend? Well, how about this? And sure enough, you know, we do a test ride, sign all the paperwork and they were out the door. I guess I probably could have made a living doing it, but, uh, I damn sure wasn't going to like high pressure people and push them into cars they didn't want and things like that. It's just, that never ends well. I don't think it does anyway. All right, guys, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. I hope you enjoyed these stories. And if you did do me a favor, well, you know what to do. Till the next one, we'll see you.